Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, I'd like to start off our Bible study this morning with a quote. It's a quote from a lady by the name of Shannon Elder that I believe sums up our study this morning. It reads as follows. Tough love and a brutal truth from strangers are far more valuable than band-aids and half-truths from invested friends who don't want to see you suffer any more than you have, unquote. You go, Pastor, say that again? Tough love and brutal truth from strangers are far more valuable than band-aids and half-truths from invested friends who don't want to see you suffer any more than you have to. Your attention, please. This morning, I want to talk to you about tough love. Tough love in exposing the heart for salvation. Now listen, I know what you're going, Pastor, is that tough love, that one of those things? Well, let me give you the definition. Well, tough love usually is an expression that's generally thought of as a disciplinary measure when someone is treated rather sternly with the intention of helping him or her in the long run. They call that tough love, right? Or tough love, if you will, can also be the refusal, no, 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 to give assistance to a friend asking for help when in doing so, church, listen, would allow, would simply allow him or her to continue on a dangerous path. It's you going, no, I'm not going to allow you to go down this path. I'm going to offer tough love, okay? However, however, tough love in a biblical sense, the chastening hand is always controlled by a loving heart. Think about it, okay? When we offer tough love, we might go, no, I'm going to offer some discipline so you are very, very careful you get off this path, or it might be for some of us that we say, no, 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 I'm not going to allow you to do this because you're on a dangerous path, but keep this in mind. When it comes to a biblical tough love, it's always done with a loving heart. As the wise King Solomon once said, quote, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Now, to fully understand the importance of why tough love is sometimes necessary, we need to understand, guys, the magnitude of the spiritual fight that is significant in the life of a Christian. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what you just said. To fully understand why tough love is necessary with a tender heart, we need to understand that as believers, there's always going to be conflict, there's going to be spiritual attacks, and there's going to be fights in the spiritual realm. Everybody understand that? You go, okay, I think I got it. Yes. Why, though? Why, Pastor? Here's why. Listen, Satan and his host of demons are going to make every attempt to knock us off our spiritual journey. There we are walking with Jesus, having, and his job is to knock you completely off the path. He always wants to do that. He's going to be continue, continually tempting us to what? To compromise and also to give in to our spiritual, or I'm sorry, our sinful nature. So we know that there's a battle. 
Christ told us this. He said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And he says, and many people are on that road. You see, a strong dose of tough love may be the most appropriate recourse to help one get off the road of destruction, especially if this person has been on it for a while. Now, by way of introduction, I need your help. I want to ask you a question, okay? I want to ask you a question and see if you can help me with this. Who said the following harsh words? Who said this? You ready? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You blind guides. You strain out a net and swallow a camel. You whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. You snakes. You brood of vipers. How will you escape? escape being condemned to hell. Now, we know, right? You guys said this. You probably recognize these are the words of Jesus, right? And here is our gentle shepherd, meek and mild, tender-hearted Savior. Yet, look at the words he said. Look what he told the religious people. He called them snakes. You snakes, you brood of vipers. He says, you guys look so beautiful on the outside. Look at you, oh, so pretty. But inside, you've got dead men's bones. He says, you stinketh in the inside, my translation. You look so pretty, but I see a smell coming from you. These are words, right? So here's what Jesus is doing. If you're taking note, this is a dose of tough love, but with a tender heart. You go, I don't know anything about tender. He just called the religious people brood of vipers. Yeah, but think about what Jesus said last week. Do you guys remember in John 8, 44, what he said? He said, let's look at it together, guys. He says, you are, now who's he speaking? He's speaking to the Jewish, to the religious leaders. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Why? Well, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. Why, church? For he is a liar and he is the father of it couple of things, your attention, please. This is brutal. Why? Did you just see what Jesus called the religious leaders? He called them devil's kids. He says, you guys, are the, your, your father, you belong to the devil. You're devil's kids. And they're probably going, wait a minute, Jesus. Them are fighting words. Hello? Those are fighting words. Why would you say that? He goes, because he was a murderer from the beginning. And what have you guys been trying to do? You've been trying to kill me. You've been trying to kill me. You are just like your father, the devil. The devil. Okay? Can I give you a nugget of truth just in verse 44? Did you see that it says this? Now listen, here's your nugget of truth. You ready? When Satan speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own resources for he is a liar. What is Satan? What is Satan? Exactly. And so in your walks, guys, here's just a nugget separate from my, from my sermon. When, when you walk in the spiritual journey and, and, and you realize, what do you think the enemy is going to give you? The truth? He's going to always give you a lie because he's the father of lies. What do you think the number one lie the enemy whispers to either the non-believer or the believer? What do you think it is? Hey, you're okay. You're okay. You don't need this whole Christianity. Listen, listen. 
God is love. And God is love, and you're okay. You're okay. You don't need, you don't need to sacrifice. Listen, I don't know why Jesus did that. Why? Because Satan is a... Right. Right. Well, what does he speak to the believer? You're not even saved. You're not even saved. If you were saved, you wouldn't think this way. You wouldn't walk this way. You wouldn't act this way. You wouldn't do this. You wouldn't do this. And, 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 and he goes on and on. But he's the father of lies. That's just a nugget, okay? That's just a nugget. But here's what I want you to see in our text. You ready? Jesus lovingly called the religious leaders devil's kids. Right? You are your father of the devil. Do you see that? Now, for you and I, we just kind of go, right? Because we wouldn't go around calling people's devil's kids, right? We, we, you know, I mean, we wouldn't be like, hey, son of Satan, how's it going? You know, we wouldn't do it. We just wouldn't, right? But Jesus does. Why? Here, here's what we got to, we got to, we got to reel it in. You guys ready? We got to think about this. Why would Jesus confront and exasperate the Pharisees? Why? You ready? Because he loves them. Because he loves them. You see, what he wants to do is there are times when he has to speak the truth, no matter how harsh it seems, because he wants to expose their hearts. Now now listen, listen, church, listen. Sometimes, listen to me, it takes tough love for someone to see that they are missing at what Christianity is all about. Sometimes it takes some some brutal, brutal, tough love. And you go, well, why, Pastor, why? Here's why. Many people think that being a Christian simply means going to church. Being a Christian means, hey, I've read the Bible every now and then. I've memorized John 3.16. I listen to Christian music. I offer an occasional prayer. Usually it's thankful for my food. So that means I'm a Christian, right? And, and especially in the times and the place that we're living in, guys, that's where tough love comes in. What if, what if there were folks that we know, or maybe even you today, that you didn't realize that you weren't saved? Wouldn't you want somebody to tell you the truth? Well, of course I would, Pastor. Of course I would. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. Now, here's what I want you to note. I want you to think about this for just a moment. The conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. Okay. Jesus has been ministering, guys, for what? Two and a half years. Okay? We're six months away from the cross. Now, you and I were three weeks away from resurrection, but Jesus is about six months away. Okay, he, we're in the final six months of his life. We know that he's going to end up on the cross. We know that he's going to uh, be beaten before the cross. We know that he's going to die on the cross. He's going to be buried. And on the third day, he's going to resurrect. Do you know the same Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus lives in you? Did you know that? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So for two and a half years, what has been happening? There's been conflict. Everybody say conflict. Okay? There's been conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, this keeps brewing and brewing and brewing and brewing till now. Guess what they want to do? They want to kill my Savior. They want to kill Jesus, right? 
Now, what would you do if somebody wanted to kill you? Pastor, I'm out of here. Man, I'm going to leave town, right? Jesus doesn't do that. They want to kill him. And what does he do? Guys, Jesus loves them enough to engage them and actually tell them the truth in love as a way to get them to see that they're on the wrong path all along. Here's what I want want you to keep in mind. They've had this conflict for two and a half years with Jesus. You and I, as followers of Jesus, often run into conflict. That conflict usually stems, well, here's what the Bible says. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So, so we realize that it's coming from somewhere else, but it's usually flesh and blood that we have a conflict, conflict with, right? It's usually, it could be parents, it could be relatives, it could be a coworker, it could be a good friend, it could be just a stranger. But because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be conflict. You've, you've run into conflict all of your life. At times, it may be spiritual, and you're going, oh, where did this come from? This is intact. At times, it just might be natural. Let me show you why. If you're taking note, and I would encourage you to do, because this is going to help you, guys, there are four downward steps when it comes to conflict. Four downward steps. Now, why do I bring this up? Because the Pharisees are going to use them. You'll see the Pharisees use them, and then people even use them today. Okay? You go, well, pastor, what are they? Well, if you're taking note, all conflict starts with step number one. You go, what's that? Jot this down. It starts at an intellectual level. All conflict starts at an intellectual level. You go, what do you mean? Well, let me show you in the scripture. This is how it all started with Jesus. They said, okay, two and a half years ago, there's a man named Yahshua traveling the countryside, and he's gathering followers. We need to, help me church, talk to him. We need to talk to him. We need to, we need to have a decent conversation. Let's, have a, let's find out who he is and intellectually find out where he's coming from. Wait, isn't that Yahshua? Isn't that the same? Yeah, that's Mary's son, Mary and Joseph. But I don't think Joseph was his, his dad. Oh, intellectually. You go, well, what happens when you can, in conflict, rationalize or... Uh, Repair is another word, or what happens when, when the conflict continues? Well, it moves to downward spiral number two. You go, what's that? Well, it moves to an emotional level, an emotional level, right? What starts off with just talking, and all of a sudden, if you've ever had, an, if you've ever had a disagreement with your wife or your husband, it, emotions come, right? People start to cry, Emotions. Wait, but you said, and, 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 and we move to an emotional level. And sometimes an emotional is our, is our tears. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's bitterness. That's exactly what they did to Jesus. They started off with an intellectual level, couldn't reach him, couldn't come to a compromise. And now it got, it got emotional. They're angry. Jesus. Well, guess what happens? If you can't resolve the conflict with an intellectual level or an emotional level, it moves to step number three. Jot this down. It's a verbal level. Verbal. You go, what do you mean? That's where the name calling begins. Let me tell you some things. Let me tell you. And you begin to call names. For Jesus, guess what they called him? They called him crazy. 
They said he had a demon. They called him a Samaritan. They told him he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it was name-calling to the extreme. That's what happens. That's what happens. You go, well, Pastor, what happens if it passes the intellectual level, the emotional level, and the verbal level? You guys know this. What's next? It moves to a physical level. Right? Why? Because they want to kill him. They want to kill him. They're going to pick up stones to murder Jesus. You go, well, what's the point? Well, here's what I want to, here, here's what I want you to grit, right? Number one, you're going to be attacked. There's a conflict in your life. Where should we repent of? Where should we repent? Right away in the intellectual level. If we allow it to get emotional, then what happens is we're just a short jump to the verbal, and then we should never be in the physical. But let me ask you this. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? How fast does it take to go from intellectual to physical? Boom. We can move at, I mean, seriously. And so we as believers have to be so careful that we go, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got a conflict going on here. Okay, where are they at? Okay, they're at the intellectual level. Let's, let's, let's just try to repent. Let's try to, let's try to, to, to shut it down. Let's try to diffuse the situation because I def- definitely don't want to get to an emotional level. And then especially if they start calling me names or my family names, we're going to blows. Right? And when it gets to a verbal level, I mean, when it gets to a physical level, somebody's going to jail. Trust me. Because that's usually where it ends up. Here's my point. You ready? Every downward step you'll see is found in the gospel. If you go back and you do a study, look at the Pharisees and Jesus. Look at the conflict. Even in chapter 8, it always starts intellectual. It moves to emotional. They're angry. Verbal. Kill him. Kill him. I read this quote the other day that I believe, my personal opinion, resembles the heart of the Pharisees. The heart of the Pharisees. Listen up. You can jot this down if you're pretty fast, but I'll read it a couple of times. Here's the quote. It goes like this. When a toxic person can no longer control you, they will try to control how others see you. The misinformation will feel unfair, but stay above it, trusting that other people will eventually see the truth just like you did. Let me say that again. When a toxic person or persons can no longer control you, they try to control how others see you. And you go, Pastor, how does this relate to the Pharisees? Well, isn't that what they did to Jesus? At the very beginning, they would try to control Jesus with their religiosity. They could not control him so they could do the only next best thing. They try to control how others saw them, how others saw him. How do you know they succeeded? Because do you remember the crowd? On Palm Sunday, we were singing Hosanna, and then, and, then, and then just a few short hours, they were saying what? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. This information, church, will feel unfair. 
I want you to stay above it, right? That's what Jesus did. Trusting that other people will eventually see the truth, just like you did. You're here today because you, right? Because the Pharisees did not control you. You saw the truth in who Jesus is, and you surrendered your heart. You surrendered your heart. You surrendered your life. That's why you're here. See, Jesus, guys, our Savior, continues to engage the religious people, right, out of an amazing love for them. He, he continues to exasperate. He wants to talk. He wants to offer. He's got to tell them some tough things, but he, because he loves them. Now, think about this. Do you guys remember the parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 15? We know it as the parable of the prodigal son, yet there were two sons. There was the younger son, and then there was the older brother, right? We don't say much about the other brother because we're all focused on the younger son. What happened? The younger son was a prodigal, okay? Left home, decided to spend and squander all the parents' money, all the dad's money, went off to a... You guys know the story, right? And you and I, we root for the prodigal when he comes home. Why? Because we relate to him more than anything. We're like, that was me, Jesus, I was the prodigal. And we never really pay attention to the older brother. But you guys know the story. The story is the older brother's coming in from serving, and all of a sudden he hears he hears music. And he's like, what is that? Man, right? Dad saw younger brother just a few hours earlier, picked up his robe, something that a distinguished older Jewish man would not do, and he ran to him. And he ran and he put his arms around him. My son, my son, you were, thought you were dead. You're alive. You were lost. Now you're found. Come on. And what does he do? Do you guys remember? He says, here's what we do. Kill the fatted calf. Right? We're not just having burgers. We're having filet mignon. Let's go. Right? We're not going to sing karaoke. We're going to hire the band. We're going to have a party. Come on in. Right? It's an amazing party. Now, I think I know you guys think your parties are cool, right? You have a little backyard soiree with a few people. You say, did you come to my party? We're not talking that kind of party, okay? We're talking he had a party. I mean, it was amazing. So much so that the older brother gives us some insight. He's walking. He's like, what's that? What's all that music? I can hear the music from this far out. And the Bible says that the people inside the party were what? They were singing and they were dancing. Wait a minute. Pastor, can Christians dance? Well, some can and... Some can't. That's just a rule. I didn't make it up, right? Some of you who are believers that think you can dance, God bless you. But there was dancing. There was dancing. There was a great party going on, right? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, guys, that the older son was angry. He said he was angry and he wouldn't go in. Dad says, man, listen, we're having a party. Come on in. No, I will not. And he crossed his arms. Now, Here's, here's what I would think. Listen, I'm having a party. I'm having a good time. This is a, yeah, we're having a blast, right? And everybody's having a good time. We're having filet mignon. Oh, this is so good. We're eating, right? Hey, your older son doesn't want to come in. Well, I'm sorry for him. You know, that's not what the father does. That's not his heart. The Bible says that he goes, what? And, and, and it says here, therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. The father left the party to beg his older son to come into the party. Two things the father did that would blow your mind. You go, what's that? Number one, he ran. In order to run, he had to pull up his robe, exposing his legs. Oh, that's unthinkable. 
Not, not that he had bad legs. Don't laugh. He had strong muscular legs. Anyways, because he so, it showed the flesh. And an older man did not run. But now he left the party. All his guests are going, Where, where's the father? He's outside with the son. Who does the son represent? The son represents, no, well, well, let's see if you can figure it out. Ready? Notice what it says. It says, so he answered the father, lo, these many years I have served you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours has come, he's devoured your livelihood with harlots, sleeping with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf. You see, who does he represent? He represents the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, listen, I came to seek and save those who are lost. The Pharisees, right, they're going, we've had it all together all along. And, and, and he says, lo, we've been with you and we've never transgressed your commandments. And notice what the dad says. The dad says, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad. Why? Your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost, and now was found. Wow, this is, this is just like crazy. This is crazy. Why? Because in Luke 15, verse 32 is the last verse we get. But let me tell you what Paul Harvey says, right? Paul Harvey says, and now the rest of the story. Now, those of you that are 35, you have no idea who I was talking about. First service, I mentioned Steve Harvey. That's the family feud guy. But Paul Harvey would often say the what? Now, the rest of the, I mean, you show your age. If you don't want to show your age, don't say anything. Just put your head down. You go, what was the rest of the story? Well, the rest of the story was the older brother, after being invited into the party, decided now, took a two-by-four and beat his father to death. Pastor, that's not in my Bible. Uh, that's not in my Bible. That's verse 32 is where it ends. How could you say that? Are you making stuff up? No, no, no. Here's my point, right? You and I both know that the story ends in verse 32, but it was the religious people who continued with Jesus until he was on the cross. They just wouldn't give up. They wouldn't believe. They wouldn't believe. You see, the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus, his heart, and although he is, he is um, exasperating them, he is having conflict with them, he's engaging them, is because he's inviting them into the party. He's outside, he's pleading with them. He's pleading with them. It's something you and I know is tough love. Tough love. You see, tough love is often necessary because as fallen human beings, we have the tendency not to respond to the gentle taps on the shoulder. Hey, 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 nope, nope, nope. And our Heavenly Father will do whatever it's necessary to conform His children into the likeness of Christ. If you're taking notes, jot this down. I want to point out a pattern in our text. A pattern... Yeah, this pattern helps us as we are confronted with conflict with, with, uh, as believers, okay? This pattern, okay? You go, what do you mean? Well, we know that there's going to be conflict. We know there's going to be an intellectual level. There's going to probably move to emotional, verbal. Hopefully, it never gets to physical. But I want to show you the pattern that we see 
and it's going to help us as we're confronted in everyday life. You go, what are they? Jot this down. Number one, you're going to see blasphemy. Blasphemy in our text. Blasphemy against who? Towards Jesus. Blasphemy against, towards Jesus, right? And, and eventually us as followers, you'll get that. You'll get those blasphemous statements to you as a believer. How should you respond? The second thing we see in this pattern is you'll see blasphemy, and the second thing you'll see is truth. Jesus responds with truth. Jesus doesn't entertain an argument. He doesn't want to sit and say, I know more than you. I created you. Hello. He always responds with truth. And the pattern is, is that you and I should always respond with truth. But Jesus does something very interesting that I think you and I would have a hard time doing. If there was conflict and there was blasphemy towards you where you got defensive and you responded with truth, your last statement is like, I'm out of here because I, don't, I know I'm going to get to the fourth level pretty quick and somebody's going to have a bloody nose and it's not going to be me. But Jesus offers an invitation. He actually offers them an invitation to the party. You're like, what? Okay, again, here's the pattern we're going to see. You ready? Blasphemy, truth, followed by an invitation. Blasphemy, truth, followed by an invitation. Now, here's what, here's what saddens me. You go, what's that? This happens three times in our text with the exception of the last time. You go, why? The exception of the last time is Jesus doesn't give an invitation. He doesn't give an invitation. Let's pick up our story in verse 48, guys, and move our way. Now, we'll move pretty quick through this, so don't feel like we'll be here real late. But look at, look at John eight forty-eight. It says, then, Jew, then the Jews answered, okay, they're in a the dialogue with Jesus, and they said to Jesus, do we not write, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? And have a demon? Okay? Here's their reaction. Here is their reaction. Now, note, two things are happening here. You go, what are they? Number one, we see that they are now on the third downward step to this conflict. What is it? Verbal. Right? Now they're starting to, they're starting to what? Name calling. They're starting, Jesus, listen, we know for sure that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon. That's the first thing that's going on here. Okay? They started to name call. Not Jesus. Jesus go, I'll show you, right? Jesus said, you are of your father, your devil, and here's why. Here's the fruit that you're producing, but he never called them names. The second thing we see happening here is notice the pattern. Blasphemy towards Jesus. Here is the Son of God, fully God, fully man, deity, God in the flesh, right? And they verbally attack him. Blasphemy. You go, Pastor, what's blasphemy? It's the act or offense of speaking sacrilegiously about God, sacred things, or profane talk. They're going to blaspheme the Lord. Blasphemy. Now, before we move on, we need to do some work. You guys ready? Think about this. In the midst of the third downward step, which is verbal, okay, we see blasphemy going on. How is that blasphemy? Guess what they call Jesus? A Samaritan. <gasps> now, to you and I, we go, that doesn't mean anything. A Samaritan, I mean, listen, that's like saying you're a Californian. You're a Texan. 
I mean, you know, however we want to do it, okay? No, no, no. See, we need to do some work because it's deeper than that. To call Jesus a Samaritan was a insult of the highest magnitude. Here's what they were saying. You ready? They were calling Jesus a half-breed with the implication that Mary had relations with a Roman soldier and got pregnant. That's what the, To call Jesus a Samaritan, they're going, yeah, we know Joseph wasn't your dad. You must have, you must have did something with a Roman soldier, in this, in, in, and that's what they're saying. Okay? You guys remember the Samaritans? The Samaritans were the half-breed of the Jewish people who intermingled with the Assyrians and all that had come, all the foreigners who had come to invade the land. Okay? So they couldn't stand up and say, we're true Jewish. They go, I don't know who we are. We're, we're everything. And then to add injury after insult, they called Jesus a demon. A demon, meaning you're crazy, you're mad, you're out of control, your elevator doesn't go to the top floor, you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? Now here's what I want you to see. For a Jew to be called a Samaritan, guys, was the grossest of insults. We tend to do that as human beings to somebody who has who is a different ethnic origin than us. We tend to use derogatory, ugly insults when we call somebody those names. It's the same thing here. It was the grossest of insults. And then to be called demon-possessed person only added further insult. Now, listen, listen, listen. What would you do, what would you do if somebody came to you who supposedly represented God and began to verbally insult you to the point where it was the grossest of insults to you. Pastor, i got to tell you, I'd go from step one to step four. We'd go to blows. We'd be getting ready to rumble. Or you would go, i got to get out of here because I'm about to hurt this, this guy. You know what Jesus does? Jesus lovingly responds with truth. How? How does, the, how does the Messiah respond with truth when being verbally insulted? Here's why. Because he recognized that we don't fight against flesh and blood. He realizes where this is coming from. And so when he puts it in perspective, he can respond with truth. Anybody getting that? You go, what's the truth? Look at verse 49. Jesus answered and says, I don't have a demon. Do you guys see that? What's his response? You have a demon. No, I don't. Sometimes I think we get in our biggest trouble when we try to defend ourselves. When we try to, when we try to explain to you what you're saying is actually wrong. Jesus doesn't do that, right? You know what? You're a Samaritan and you have a demon. No, I don't. But let me tell you the truth. Here's the truth. He says, but I honor my father. And you guys dishonor me. He says, I don't seek my own glory, but there's one who seeks and judges. Guys, did you see that? He just, he just responds with beautiful, wonderful truth in the word of God. Truth. What does he say? He goes, I'm not crazy. I simply honor my father 
and you guys dishonor me. He says, but there is one who seeks and judges. And who's that judgment belong to? The Father. After the Father. How should we respond when it comes to conflict? We should respond in truth. Hey, you did this, didn't? No, I didn't. But let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the truth. You Christians think you're perfect. No, we don't. <laughs> let me tell you the truth. You won't find a bigger group of mess-ups than believers. But, but here's the truth. Jesus died for every one of us. And he loves us. And he loves you. Okay? So after blasphemy, truth, right? Jesus invites him into the party, right? Look at verse 51. Here's, he, because he loves them. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall not see death. He shall never see death. Now, again, you're going, whoa, 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 whoa. What did Jesus say? Here's the invitation. He says, those who keep his word in this context are those who expressed a saving faith in God's son. Okay? This is the expression. He says, listen, it's not that you, uh, listen, uh, again, here's the invitation. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone buys a Christian t-shirt and shops at Mardell and has a bumper sticker that says Jesus and has the biggest Bible you could find, you guys are going to go to heaven. He doesn't say that. Notice what he says. He says, if anyone keeps my word, means that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. He said, if you have done that, you shall never taste death. Never taste death. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Because I don't want to taste death. Here's what he's talking about. If you have a pencil handy, guys, he's talking about the second death, right, known as the eternal death that we find in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, right? Every one of us is going to die. Okay, let me put it this way. If you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll only die once. Right? Okay? If you're, if you're, again, only born once, came out, right? And, and there's, there you are. Oh, look at my little baby. And you're never born again, you'll die twice. You'll die physically, and then you'll die spiritually, the eternal death. If you're born again, after being born physically, then you're only going to die once. Jesus just said, now listen, if you're a highlighter or note taker, this is a wonderful verse because here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you abide in my words, you're never going to see death. Now, here's what I love about it, okay? The implication is that we see it's the eternal death, right? The eternal being cast into the lake of fire, but it's also the physical death. How so? Jesus says, again, he says, he's going to refer to our experience here on earth for death. Your experience. There's a lot of us, guys, even as believers, that are afraid to die. It's not so much we're afraid. We, we know the old saying, right? I don't fear death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. But here's what Jesus is promising. He's promising if you keep your word, if you abide in him, if you love him, if you're sold out for him, if you're not just playing church, he says you'll never see death. And it's a lot like this. It's a lot like the day that I had to walk my beautiful bride into the operating room to remove a cancerous tumor. She was very nervous about the operation. Who wouldn't be? Until they came in and gave her a pretty purple pill. 
And when she got this purple, she's nervous. Oh, what am I? Lord, I've got cancer. Oh, my goodness. Here, take this. Hey. What's up? Honey. Yes, sweetie. You better pay attention because I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> Next thing you know, she woke up. And that's how death is going to be, guys. Death is going to be just Jesus right there going, hey, you want to get out of here? You're not going to experience it like 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 an unbeliever. Oh my gosh! You, you, I believe, and I, I've I've been through a lot of rooms where people have taken their last breath, and I believe that Jesus is there, going like this. You ready to go? Now the body's there fighting, and we're mourning, and we're crying because we're going to miss our loved one. But Jesus is there. Hey, you want to get out of here? I've got some stuff that we can do. And you go, Amen. Right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Think of Billy Graham. What did Billy Graham say? He said, one of these days you're going to hear that I died. Don't believe it's true, right? I didn't die. I just changed addresses. I just moved. That's what it is. That's what it is. I love the fact, guys. I love the fact that you and I, for death, for us, for the believer, wow, heaven, this is cool. Did I die? think so. Didn't feel anything. Ah, radical. Yeah. Well, in our text, guys, once again, the pattern continues. What's the pattern? Blasphemy, truth, and imitation. Look at verse 52. Then the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death, right? He's going, really? They're, they're saying, really, Jesus, you just said nobody's going to die, and now Abraham is dead, and the prophets are dead. We know you're crazy. We know you're crazy. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets? Tell me who you are. Who do you make yourself out to be? Now, here's what I want you to see. Why is that blasphemy? Because here's what they think. They still can't see, guys. They still can't see spiritually what he's saying because they're watching with their physical eyes. They're thinking death is death is death is death is death is physical. Death. Jesus has been talking spiritual the whole time, and they're going, really? This guy's kooky. He's crazy. Sometimes we only have eyes in the physical. If you find yourself in a conflict, guys, take a step back and see where the spiritual is. And make sure, oh, oh, oh. What is Jesus? How does Jesus respond? Truth, right? Truth. Look at verse 54. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, well, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word, right? That's the truth. Jesus doesn't argue with them. He doesn't say, uh-huh, right? How could you never, uh, yes, I, what I said, he says, listen, Jesus said, if I honor myself, he says, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It was the commentator Barclay who said, it's not easy to, dif- it's not difficult to honor oneself. It's easy enough. In fact, fatally easy to bask in the sunshine of one's own approval. And isn't that true? It's not real hard for us to honor ourselves. Jesus said, I didn't honor myself, but it's not real hard for us to. You know what I'm talking about? In the day of social media, what do we do? 
We honor ourselves a lot. We honor, it's not real hard to do, right? It's like you looking in the mirror, right? And you start, you look that person in the mirror and you say, hey, enough about you. What about me, right? That's how you want to honor yourself. You want to talk and constantly talk about yourself. Jesus goes, listen, that's not a problem, but I'll tell you what is. He says, my honor is nothing. It's the Father who honors me. You with me? And the problem is, is guys, you say that he's your God. And yet, he says, but you don't know him. You want to know what the truth is? He's, he's telling the Pharisees, the tough love, he's saying, you really don't know Jesus. You really don't know God. You think you do, but you don't. If I said, I don't know him, I'd be a liar like you. He says, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Well, what's the next step? It went from blasphemy, Jesus, you're crazy. Jesus gives him the truth, and he offers us the invitation to salvation. Notice, verse 56. Your father Abraham, notice, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and when he saw it, and was glad. You're right? Again, think about it, what he just said. He said, guys, you guys, you guys claim that Abraham is your father? Man, he rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it, and he was, I'm going to use this, he was super stoked. He was just, he was, he was outrageously excited. Why was he invited? Pastor, I don't see an invitation here. Jesus just claimed right here, guys, that not only was he greater than Abraham, but Abraham himself also acknowledged this. Do you guys remember when Abraham, what did he say? And Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, right? Way before Jesus, way before. But he knew. Abraham said, I cannot wait for the day. And you and I, we're on the, we're on the backside of the cross. And so we're just like, it's just been more party. And you go, why has it been more party? Because Abraham had to believe and wait for that day. You and I know 2,000 years ago it happened. And we're just like, man, I'm in. I'm in. I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And, and he invites them by saying this, Abraham believed by faith. You need to believe by faith. Here's the problem, guys. When we offer an invitation to the party, many people go, well, Pastor, do I have to change? Do I have to change? I have to change. I know I have to change. I don't want to change. That's not invited. That's not a party. You know what? He says, come into the party. Let Jesus change you. If you come with a sincere and open heart and say, God, here I am, all my flaws, everything, I'm yours, God will take that heart and begin to work in it. And he will begin to change you. It's called progressive sanctification. He's going to make you more like Jesus slowly, 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 slowly. The problem is that somewhere during that journey, we resist the change. Okay, 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 pastor, what do we do? Once again, we see the pattern, right? Blasphemy slash sarcasm, verse 57, then the Jews answered him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Well, why is that blasphemy and sarcasm? Well, because first of all, they're saying, Jesus, listen, you're not even 50 years old. Now, why would they pick 50? Here's why. Here's for my Bible students. You ready? You were, you, when you served in the temple, when you served the Lord, right, as a rabbi, you served up until 50, and then you had to retire. Okay? I think that's a good system, but that's not ours. So they said, you're not even 
50, right? You haven't even retired from serving Jesus, if you will, serving God. And you have seen Abraham? <laughs> Are you serious, right? How could you, have, how could you even say this? How could, I mean, isn't, doesn't that sound silly? You're not even so many years old, and you said you hung out with Abraham. Well, what does Jesus respond with? Uh-huh, no, no. He responds with truth. Look at verse 58. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Pastor Ben, a lot of my friends say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Eh, wrong. Right here. Right here, he just said, I am. Before Abraham ever was, I am. I am. With this dramatic phrase, guys, Jesus told him that he was the eternal God existing not only at the time of Abraham, but before into eternity past. Jesus claimed to be the great I am, the voice of the covenant of God of Israel revealed at the burning bush. He says, I am, I am. It is the magnificent seven. Seven times Jesus proclaims, I am. Now, here's what makes me sad. Things are changing just a bit. You go, why? Because Jesus doesn't offer an invitation. And you go, well, why does that make you sad? Well, guys, you guys know the story of Noah, right? Noah and the ark. For 120 years, probably hundreds of people not mocked Noah just like they did Jesus. They probably blasphemed him. You old coot. What are you doing building it? It hasn't rained a day. What is wrong with you? Oh, been at it for 99 years. Ooh, maybe you got it wrong, buddy. And year after year. And all Noah did was say, guys, you got to get on the boat. You got to get on, man. Judgment is coming. You got to get on. Noah, <laughs> it's been 110 years. <laughs> Keep on going. Maybe you need a nail. You know, whatever it is. You know how the mocking is. And Noah, all he did is, please, 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 sir, please get on the boat. Until the clock reached 120 years. And supernaturally, the Lord closed the ark. And rain began to fall. And the ground opened up, and the water, and the earth flooded. I wonder how many people, guys, were hanging on to the ark going, please save us, Noah, we're sorry, we're sorry, we should have listened to you, please, please, please. Why does Jesus give, give such tough love right here? Why does he call them a brood of vipers? Why does he say you are the father? Because he wants to expose their hearts because eternity is so serious that he has to use a means of tough. They're not getting it any other way. They're not getting it. It's the same for us, guys. How many times have you been, have you even, well, this is what I believe about Christianity, and this is what I believe, and somebody offered you the truth and offered you an invitation, and you turned it down, and you turned it down, and you turned it down, and eventually there's going to be a day when there's no more invitation. And that's why Jesus tells us today is the day of salvation. Today is to get your hearts right with him. Well, guess what happens? 
There's no invitation. And it moves to the fourth downward step of conflict. Physical. Look at verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him. Oh, it went past intellectual, emotional, verbal. We called him a demon. That wasn't working. He nailed us with the truth and yet offered an invitation, not having it, picking up a stone. And they want to, what, what, what do they want to do with the stone, right? They want to kill him. But Jesus hid himself and went out in the temple, going through the midst of them. So he passed by. And here's what I want you to see. Where are they trying to stone Jesus? In the temple. That's the place where they should be worshiping God. They're trying to kill God in the temple. Guys, let's close with this. These are the religious people that Jesus loves. Amen? He loves them. But here's what I want you to write down. Religious people do not represent God if they reject Jesus Christ. Religious people do not represent God if they reject Jesus Christ. Why do we need to be reminded of that? Because here's the thing, guys. We need to have a heart for the people just as well. Yet, they don't represent God if they're rejecting Jesus Christ. You see, when it comes to our graceful invitation, and you say, what do you mean, our graceful invitation? Guys, when, when I say our, I'm talking about us. I'm talking about people we've been praying for. I'm talking about, I'm talking about coworkers. I'm talking about family. I'm talking about friends who don't know Jesus. When we offer that invitation, here's what I want you to see. You ready? Here it is. The same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. You go, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Guys, eventually the same sun that's drawing you into a relationship with him, when you continually reject the truth, your heart becomes hard to the truth. And eventually, listen to me, Jesus will come back for his people. And those who have been simply religious or who have resisted the truth, they're going to find out one day that they missed him. They missed him. You see, sometimes we need tough love so we can be found. Sometimes we need to be told the truth to keep us from running off the road. Sometimes tough love exposes our hearts so we can find our way back to Jesus' loving arms. Maybe you're here today and And if you're completely honest in church, you've, you've resisted the truth. You feel like, man, I'll have to change something. Well, I don't know what will happen. You've just resisted, you've resisted, you've resisted, you've resisted, you've resisted. And maybe today you feel like Christianity is something that, you know, hey, I, I, 
I prayed a prayer down an aisle. I'm cool. God's good. And you don't know him. And Jesus is saying, you don't know him. You don't know him if you knew him. If you knew him. And you're going, listen, pastor, those are, listen, sometimes it's tough love so that we can get you back on the right path. Sometimes it's, it's the truth followed by an invitation. Well, here's the invitation, guys. Jesus loves you. He's got a plan, a, great, a better plan than your plan. Sin separates us. He told, the, he told the Pharisees last week that they're going to die in their sins. They're going to be separated for eternity. How many Pharisees do you think today believe in Jesus? All of them. They know the truth now. They didn't back then. They're fighting with him. They're blaspheming him. They're mocking him. <laughs> Abraham. And yet today, God wants to, he wants to reach into your heart and say, you've got to surrender once and for all. I love you that much. We think love would be, just leave them alone. Just leave them. They'll find their way. Love is going, I love you to tell you enough the truth. I'll tell you the truth. Expose our hearts of sin. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity, wherever you are, to surrender your life, to surrender yourself to Jesus. It's not about joining our church. It's not about a relationship with the pastor or priest or anyone else, guys. It's about, it's about a relationship with God, the God that created you. It's about setting the wrong into right, to being right with him. And I know some of us have come into this room, and we're honestly, we feel like, if we can be honest, a million miles away from God. We feel like we're just oceans away from him. But let me tell you this. You may feel like that, but you're also one decision away from surrendering your life to him. One decision. What do I have to do, Pastor? Just, just open up your heart and let him do the work. But please don't leave here if you're not on the right path. Please don't leave here if you're not. Listen, you're invited to the party. But you got to come in. Don't stand on the porch with your arms crossed, angry. Come into the party. What do I need to do, Pastor? You need to surrender your life once and for all. We sang that song earlier, right? I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Last thought, and then we'll pray. You can fool all of us here. But you can't fool God. And you're not getting right with us. You're getting right with him. And what do I have to do, Pastor? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to simply raise your hand. Why do I have to raise my hand? Because I want God to see your heart. And if God will see your heart, then what do I have to do? Just ask him to come and fill you and save you once and for all. God will do that. He'll do that. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your tough love. I thank you that you expose my heart, God in the air of my ways. And so, God, I surrender my life to you, my heart. Every breath is yours. But, Lord, since we want to follow the pattern of Jesus, you always invite someone into the, you always invite everyone into the party. And there's a party going on in heaven, and you're standing right here, and you're knocking on their heart, and you're saying you want to come into the party. And so, Lord, I don't ever want to leave a, a, a worship service without an invitation. 
So with every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you right now under the power of the Holy Spirit, you could fill him in your heart? How many of you would say, Pastor, pray for me? I'm not saved. I want to be saved. I want Jesus to come and rule my life. If you would like that, would you just lift up your hand so I can pray, so we can pray with you? God bless you, sir. Good move. Good. Anyone else? God bless you to my, to my right over here. I see you. I see you. To my left. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? You can put your hands down. Father, I thank you for these hands that were raised. And I pray that you would do a work. God, it's no mistake you brought them here. You want to save them. You want to, you want to engage them and you want to walk with them. If you lifted up your hand or you didn't, but you feel like you're far from God, would you just pray this in the quietness of your spirit? Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins, God. I, I believe scripture. I confess you as Lord. I know that you resurrected on the third day, and I know that you're coming back for me. And I'm asking you now, Lord, come into my life. Come into my heart. I give you full control I'm asking you to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my Savior, to be my friend. I choose this day to follow you forever. I ask this in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, we believe that you got born again and you mean it with all of your heart. And we love you. And we've got, we, we just want to pray with you. Santos is back there. He wants to pray with you. If you lifted up your hand, will you do me some, do me a favor? Be, just be super brave and just go, just go see Santos. He's got a Bible and he's got a Bible study guide for you. And he just wants to pray with you and he wants to get you on the right path. While Josh leads us in worship, you just take that step and say, I surrendered my life today. Amen. Father, thank you in Jesus name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.